Support comes from Troy University's Trojan Cafe, offering handcrafted Starbucks beverages and a wide assortment of meal and snack options. Located on Troy University's Montgomery campus, across from the Rosa Parks Library and Museum. From Troy Public Radio, this is the Storyline Book Series from In Focus, and I'm Carolyn Hutchison. Hybrid warfare could be a factor in the political polarization gripping the United States. According to the editors of the book, The Challenge to NATO, Global Security and the Atlantic Alliance, Professor Michael Slobodkov, political science chair at Troy University, and Professor Doug Davis join us for part two of their discussion of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, its mission, and its adversaries. Professor Michael Slobodkov, welcome back to Troy Public Radio's The Storyline Book Series. It is a pleasure to, to join you, Carolyn. Thank you so much. Professor Doug Davis, welcome back to you. And it was great visiting with you and Dr. Slobodkov last Thursday in the book series. Thank you, Carolyn. Your book is called The Challenge to NATO, Global Security and the Atlantic Alliance. And you also have a co-editor, Brandon Stewart. So, Dr. Slobodkov, you are hearing concerns about our contributions to NATO being more than these member countries. What do you think is behind that concern? Is it that these folks don't think we should be there carrying most of the burden or what? Well, I think that NATO has always been one of the most successful collective security organizations that the world has known. And really, it's Article 5 of NATO, which states that an attack on one member country is the same as an attack on any member country that makes NATO so successful. In fact, interestingly, there's only one time that Article 5 has ever been invoked, and it was invoked after September 11th when the United States was attacked by al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden. And speaking of defense, the latest news has Russia and China scrambling in the Arctic with showdowns with the United States. What do you think of that? Well, I think that the Arctic is really one of the next zones of conflict. As we're seeing more Arctic ice melt, there are a lot more oil reserves, a lot of natural gas reserves, and just ease of uh, movement. And Russia has long been trying to gain a foothold in the Arctic, and now both China and Russia are working together in the Arctic and the United States and its foothold in the Arctic. So we're seeing a lot more great power competition occurring over the Arctic and its resources. Dr. Davis, what is your view about Russia's activity in the United States described as hybrid warfare? What is that? Hybrid warfare is really a means of using elements that are not normally considered within the military affairs or security and having them influence American public opinion. The idea is that it was create a barrier between the American public and NATO or to promote divisions and accelerate divisions within North America. For example, the, the nationalist movement 
that led to riots where people were beaten in Charlottesville. It turns out that the FBI reported that Russia was antagonizing both sides. They didn't really have a preference, but their goal was to make the United States look bad. One of the ways that unfortunately I've seen that is for Russia to be involved in social media. And the hybrid warfare is, it's a very broad attack, but it's designed to affect our psychology in a way that increases division, increases paranoia, makes people and states more distant from each other and makes the prospect of collaboration much more difficult. That's why Russia does it, but it's something that we have to be very mindful of. We have to focus on it and make even greater strides to build the network that holds NATO together because of this. You seem to be describing the current political climate inside the United States. Unfortunately, that's true. Uh, We are very polarized and divided. The one element about social media is that it's much easier to be connected, but it's also much easier for our foreign adversaries to also interfere within our domestic political system and change it in a way that they believe enhances their security and weakens ours. So our openness is something that's also in a sense of a liability or a vulnerability and something that we have to protect the open society, but we have to do it in a way that maintains openness without allowing our adversaries to take advantage of it, which is very difficult. If I can just add one more thing, it's that our reliance on social media really allows us to segment ourselves to receive only information that reinforces our opinions. And the Russians are very good at this, as are the Chinese, of helping to reinforce those opinions. So people who have certain opinions will only get those opinions reinforced, which means that dialogue and compromise become very uh, difficult to achieve. And it is very difficult to have an honest conversation with someone with an opposing view. That is a great point, Dr. Slavajkov. And there is a sentence in the book. Currently, the great problem is that Washington is increasingly focused on containing China. And you go on to point out that in the past, Europe could count on the support and interest of the United States. But here we are pivoting with our concerns with Asia. So I think that if you read the defense priority documents and look at what the government is stressing right now, it is a focus on China because China is perceived to be the bigger threat. Now, that is a very important thing. But the problem is, is that we have difficulty often walking and chewing gum at the same time. We can't take our eyes off Europe and the competition going on there because that is vital to our interests. And Professor Davis, NATO countries are being asked to provide, what is it, 2% of their GDP for the mutual defense of Europe? Absolutely. The 2% military GDP spending is a requirement for all NATO members that they freely entered into and reconfirmed at a NATO meeting, I think it was in 2010, under President Obama, where every country agrees to spend 2% of their GDP on military defense. And the idea is that instead of having everyone rely on the U.S. and our nuclear umbrella and the military units we have deployed in Europe, that even the small states would be able to offer something as long as they continue to meet this threshold. 
This threshold has actually changed historically because when NATO started, it was a 3% threshold. The adjustment was made following the recession in 2008. The 2008 economic crisis put a strain on European budgets. And so to adjust this, it was dropped down to 2%. That said, the majority of states don't meet this threshold. The ones who do are the ones who have an immediate military threat on their border, such as the Baltic states, Romania, Poland, and actually the UK. Most countries are below this. Poland is also, I think, right at that 2% threshold. But it's a way for the smaller countries to carry some of the burden of deterrence. That way, the cost of the collective defense is spread equally around all countries. Since all countries benefit, all countries need to contribute. So that's been a major sticking point for a lot of U.S. presidents because many of our allies have not been able to maintain spending at that level. The 2% threshold is something that will come up probably in every NATO meeting until that threshold is actually met. The challenge to NATO, global security, and the Atlantic Alliance. Dr. Slobodzkoff, I want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much, Carolyn. It was a pleasure. Dr. Davis, thank you. It was a great pleasure. Thank you, Carolyn. Joining us for the Storyline book series were the co-editors of the book, The Challenge to NATO, Global Security, and the Atlantic Alliance. Troy University political science professors Doug Davis and Michael Slobodzkoff, who is also a BBC World News contributor, are the editors, along with Brandon Stewart. Thanks for joining us today for In Focus, which is a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Carolyn Hutchison, and this is listener-supported Troy Public Radio.